Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Welcome back, OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. Chad Withrow, Paul Kuharski alongside. So during the break, uh, Davey Hudson, one of our producers in studio, Paul, said that you need to watch Thor Ragnarok. And Thor, Love and Thunder. Your thoughts? Hard pass. On, on this uh, assignment. Won't be happening. Free to watch. Not going to happen ever? Ridiculous. Can you imagine a report card Davey, from I'm you 53. on this? I'm <laughs> 53. Not 3.5. You're saying these, these movies are for children. All yeah, of them. they're for children. I don't know why you're behaving like a child. But... Does uh, Simon? No, I'm, I just I laughed at that request, that you should watch them as a comedy. And I'm thinking, there is no way in hell Paul is ever going to watch these movies, period. That's why I laugh when he... Said that. I mean, I, I would welcome somebody legit. No, <laughs> Simon is a child. Those why I asked Paul. Yeah, you said it's for children, but no, he's, he's a not child into it. with taste. Yeah, not into it. Love it. I mean, I, I, I wish didn't mean you to make could... you so upset. I just yeah. thought I'd throw it out there. Sorry. I mean, there are a lot of movies you should watch, Davey, that you might have missed from a time when good movies were made, instead of all of this Marvel nonsense that that's coming out. So I, Davey I mean, they, corrected they, us, by the way. These are all horrific. Uh, he yeah. said Avengers was the highest grossing movie of all time. I've seen that. Do you think that was good? No, uh, it's not a great movie, no. But, I mean, if you watch the, the build-up to the series, it makes sense. Um, Avatar had a re-release and is the highest grossing movie of all time. A sequel's coming out. or a, I will never watch Avatar. Avatar. I've not, I've not watched it. I never. Will. It looks awful. No interest. That is one where Paul, Paul, I probably agree with you on that taste-wise. I just think it looks terrible. I never thought it looked good. Here, like I, I, this is. So, I should write a column about this. The difference between things being good and people wanting desperately to like things. Well, it's the difference between good and popular. I think is a a, a, a common distinction that we fail to make. Something can be both good and popular. Something can be popular and not good, also. Well, we, I'm sure. we have a desire to like things. We want to go out and have a good time. But if the product that's put out is bad... Well, you have a desire to not like things. We say it's bad. You're the, you're the opposite, though. Your desire is to not like things. You no, take something that someone else likes... My desire is for things likes, to be good. No, you, you take things that people like, and if you're not into it in the beginning, and you know I'm not lying here, your inclination, which is fine, a lot of people, contrarian, is to tell people why it sucks. My inclination, I don't disagree with that, but I want to be one win me over like by it being good. But when it's not good, I'm not going to pretend it's good well, like everybody does. That well, Thor thing, if you could honestly watch that preview and say, that looks great, you, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't connect with you on any level. Because it doesn't look great. It looks like I can't say the word because they'll have to push all kinds of buttons over there. Got to find those buttons too. Um, yeah, no, I, I just think you come in, you say – when you watch Top Gun Maverick, the first thing you tell us about is the one part you didn't like. <laughs> That's your natural inclination. Yeah. 
the first thing you're going to... I enjoyed it thoroughly, but it's incredibly predictable. The lead is always the negative with you and not the positive. Some people are different. Some people are positive people, Paul. I know you hate that. I know you hate them. Uh, Things are positive. I I didn't think like Bobby Carpenter, like, this movie is so breathtaking, it saved the world for me. I just don't... That's just... It's too much. People are emotional, Paul. People get emotional. They're happy the about world. things. How could you watch a movie? I don't want you to feed back into my in growing course. depression that I've experienced over the weekend with How could you watch a movie six times in six weeks? That's a lot. That's a lot of times to go to the theater to see that. So, um, if you're a Tennessee fan right now, you're probably not impressed. I keep trying to segue out of this, and I just successfully did it. Josh Heupel lands in the last five days four new prospects, and in one day, five star pass rusher, Sean Davy and Bradley. And four-star Jalen Smith, uh, who is a linebacker. Um, I see all this, though, Paul. And while it's great right now, the number one thing that Josh Heupel needs to do in order to get better players, and this is a chicken-in-the-egg scenario, you need to win to show progress to land players. They won a year ago more than people expected them to win. They are benefiting with that on the recruiting trail right now and getting more recruits. If you go into this season and take a step back, it is going to be extremely hard to keep all of these recruits, which right now has Tennessee ranked fifth in the country in recruiting. But it is hard to hold on to a lot of these guys if you're not showing progress in year well, two. Well, I have the solution. Show progress in that's year it. two. That's it. That's it. And that, that's my point is you can only get so excited in recruiting about the future with commitments that aren't signed before the progress is shown. But you have to acknowledge progress must be shown to retain them, is my point. Well, isn't that the way it works? I mean, sounds pretty straightforward, straight line. Uh, it works that way virtually everywhere, right? Unless you're a program that's on autopilot that's going to win no matter what. And we well, know who those two programs are. Well, Steve Sarkeesian uh, showed no progress in year one. He just got Arch Manning. Yeah. So it doesn't always work that way. I mean, programs can sell themselves. You can sell players on a vision – um, I just think it's very important for a school like Tennessee, a program like Tennessee right now, uh, to not take a step back. I'm not saying win the East or compete with Georgia. I'm saying don't look worse than you did the year before. Even if it's a repeat of this last year where you score a ton of points, Hendon Hooker has a big year, uh, Cedric Tillman has a big year, offense looks great, defense isn't great, you can still sell the defensive recruits on we need you here to help the defense. Offense is going to be fine. Certainly shouldn't be a problem selling offensive recruits on Tennessee football right now, and it hasn't been so far. Aren't you expecting that? Yeah. As good as last year? I expect an improved defense also. I don't know how improved, but I expect them to be somewhat better, even though they're having to replace uh, a lot of the line of scrimmage on defense. So we'll see how it goes. But again, important to show some sort of progress. Uh, the Nashville Predators showed progress by signing Philip Forsberg to an eight-year, $68 million contract. And Paul, it prompted David Poyle to say, I know I said I had a plan B, C, and D, but I really didn't. All the cards were in on Philip Forsberg. I had no plan B if we didn't sign Philip Forsberg. What do you think about this admittance from a GM of saying that? And then when questioned on it, uh, I know our, our friend Jared Stillman at 102.5 The Game in Nashville asked him about that. And he said, well, Jared, let me explain to you how negotiation works with an agent. Yes, I said that, and it was posturing on my part about us having a plan B, C, and D because I didn't want to go in there and be honest and say, hey, he's our only plan, so we'll pay whatever. 
that, that we have to. Um, I understand where he's going with that. Uh, David Poyle's an honest guy. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that much, that's for sure. I don't think you need to be honest in that way at that time. I think it makes you look um, – I don't know if weak is the right word. makes you look unprepared because there was a chance you were going to lose him. And if you lost him, then you needed a plan B, C, and D. And uh, it sounds like he was then going to draw those up on the fly or he was absolutely convinced that he was signing him. And if he was absolutely convinced that he was signing them, then it's a little concerning maybe that it didn't happen a little bit sooner. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it. It doesn't comfort me. Well, it, I appreciate the honesty from a media perspective. I think anyone in media would like you know, any subject to be as honest as possible, knowing they're not always going to be honest. But it's odd that the honesty comes at the expense of admitting that you're completely dishonest with player representation. Oh, I don't have a problem with that. I, I mean, it's... But we know, I mean, we know that's a thing, but you, you see my point. Like, I was, yeah, I was lying to Philip Forsberg and his agent I'm to get out of them what we want. So were Forsberg and his agent lying. Uh, they all lie. They're all... Everybody's a weasel in negotiations. I have no problem with that. That's a real-world sports representation and fighting well, for what you it, want. And then when it's over, you shake hands and everybody's happy. Certainly, but it does, I, I mean... To me, it does. If I'm another agent representing a Nashville Predators player or a player wanting to sign with the Predators, I'm noting that and saying, this guy really doesn't have a plan B. Then my guy. Well, every case is different. He's admitted to it before. I mean, he doesn't have a plan B right now. Every case is different. You don't Next think time, it, he might have a terrific plan B. You don't think it takes away at all from no. their ability to negotiate? No. But I don't think he helps himself by admitting that so forthrightly. So I'm always conflicted in this because I like the candor. Um, I, I, I want the candor, but I don't think he helps himself long range with the candor. So as a reporter, I, I want him to say that. As a fan, I, I wouldn't want him to say that. And I don't think it makes him look good. And I think he should be a little bit more concerned at this stage with new ownership coming in and with him getting closer and closer to the end with looking a little bit, I don't know if strong and weak are the right words, Chad, but you know what I'm, I'm getting at. And that doesn't make him look like he's as in command and as strong of a leader and as much of an architect as I want him to be. So big news uh, coming down with the PGA Tour and the Department of Justice also. This news breaking today. Uh, in the ongoing fight versus Live Golf, the PGA Tour... Uh, has another wrinkle in their plans. The Department of Justice has launched an investigation into the PGA Tour on whether anti-competitive practices have been used against the rival golf league. Uh, this was confirmed, reported by the Wall Street Journal. And the DOJ's antitrust division, they've wasted no time. The PGA Tour admits that they knew this was coming. They expected this to happen. Players have admitted to already receiving initial inquiries from the Department of Justice on just what the PGA Tour has told them to deter them from joining Live Golf. And in fact, the PGA Tour was investigated by the Federal Trade Commission in 1994 as the Federal Trade Commission looked into the tour's practices of requiring players to seek permission to play in non-PGA Tour events. 
Again, a PGA Tour spokesman told the Wall Street Journal, this was not unexpected. We went through this in 94. We are confident in a similar outcome, obviously, where nothing happened to the PGA Tour at the time. And we know the number one thing the PGA Tour told them is, is that if you play there, you can't play here. Um, you know, I know it's different because it's an individual sport. We talked a little bit about this in a different context earlier. But, you know, the NFL and Major League Baseball have antitrust advantages given to them by the Congress. And um, it seems to me that this would be treating golf differently. Certainly it doesn't have the same governmental advantages. But it seems to me like you either give it or you don't to, to these sports. Um, and it needs to be similar or it should be similar for everybody. So there, there are several possible different outcomes here. Okay. In 94, the investigation just stopped. They didn't find much and it ended. Nothing happened to the PGA Tour. The DOJ could decide to impose sanctions or go forward with it as well. Uh, lastly, individual players, this opens the door for their lawsuit against PGA, which this has been rumored for a while. Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau, and others could sue the PGA Tour for sanctions imposed on them for joining the Live Golf Tour. Either way, we knew when the dominoes started to fall here, Paul, and big-time names were leaving for this tour, this was not going to get any easier for the PGA. Now it's been made more difficult by the government. Yeah, and I, I, look, we need to, next time we have, we've had several legal guests on lately get into this, you know, for the bulk of a conversation. But it seems to me, you know, to some degree, the PC, PGA should be able to set its own rules, right? And, and have in who it wants to have in. Um, they've done it for years yeah, and it hasn't been stopped, but now apparently it's being investigated as something that could be unlawful. You know, so that's one side of it. On the other side, I would say that a guy should have the right to play where he wants when, when he wants. So how do you balance those two things or which side of that has the legal upper hand? I don't, I don't know. Maybe we can get Dan Snyder's attorney on to talk about this and how to avoid a subpoena Spain. from Congress. Yeah. Both, both could be useful uh, David Cutcliffe has been useful to a lot of quarterbacks over the course of his career. We will talk to the former Duke, former Ole Miss head coach when we come back. David Cutcliffe will join us next. This is Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. 
Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. We are back on Outkick 360 across the Outkick network, live in downtown Nashville from our 6th and Peabody studios. Very excited about our next guest on the show. He's one of the great offensive coaches in the history of college football, and he's coached a lot of great ones himself. David Cutcliffe, who is now special advisor to the SEC commissioner, joins us now. Coach, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for hopping on with us. Well, I'm excited to be on. You guys have a great show and uh, do a lot of good for athletics, period, but specifically football, where we do often outkick our coverage, right? <laughs> That's right. No no doubt about it. Uh, and you've outkicked your coverage over the course of your career. And we're going to talk some about that. But first, Coach, I want to ask you about your role now with the Southeastern Conference, being special advisor mm-hmm. to the commissioner. When When did you first hear about this opportunity And what made you want to go into this role and outside of coaching? Well, after Duke, you know, you're in a little bit of shock and you're, you know, you're not really sure what's next. And I was leaning toward going into pro football when I got a call from the Southeastern Conference office. I hadn't given anything like this any thought. And um, I am so passionate about trying, you know, college football has been good to me and trying to make a difference and, and help in any way I can the game I love. And so I talked with them on the phone. It sounded interesting. And I said, listen, I, I need to fly down there and be with you guys and think about this. And so when I went down there, it was very obvious that Greg Sankey had surrounded himself with great people. Um, he is a insightful man. Uh, he has vision. You see it and the Southeastern Conference, what's happened under his leadership. So I just said, what the heck, um, let's do it. And so since that time, I've my wife and I have moved to Birmingham and um, just trying to get this all figured out. But, uh, boy, what a crazy time in college football. So I'm doing a little bit of everything, but, you know, the big part of it is just kind of helping coaches, dealing with coaches as far as, them understanding where things are headed and what we might collectively can do to, to, to find some, you know, middle ground. What kind of opportunities were you looking at in the NFL and how intriguing was that? Well, it's always intriguing, you know, some, uh, and I'm not going to embarrass people, you know, by calling them, but uh, coordinator opportunities and, um, you know, I, I never, I had a lot of college, they use the word analyst, you know, uh, I don't like to be analytical. I like to pull the trigger, uh, if that makes sense. You know, you study <laughs> long, you study wrong. And I just couldn't see myself in that role. And so, you know, pro football, I mean, I, I really, honestly, I had Peyton talking to me about it a lot, just, you know, want me to continue and, uh, you know, test those waters. You know, I've had other opportunities through the years that I had turned down in the National Football League, and that seemed to be the 
the obvious thing to do. But uh, I don't know. I can't explain until I flew down there, you know, what, what hit me here with this. You know, working with the administration of college football now with the SEC, certainly a, an unstable time across the sport for a, a number of different factors. How important is it to have a coach that's in on these discussions like yourself when a lot of the narrative, a lot of the decisions are being driven by business, uh, being driven by school administrators, but is it important to keep a coach's focus on where the sport heads next? Yeah, and that's that's what I have served. I've been a glutton for punishment. While I've been a head coach, I've been on the football oversight committee. I've been a board member on the American Football Coaches Association for, I don't know, 15 years uh, off and on. And I just felt like that voice, the boots on the ground, was getting further and further away. Uh, that that really, even as you go up the ladder in the legislative process, and I hear the media talk about, quote, the NCAA, and, you know, the NCAA is really the the institutions, um, the committees that are formed from people that are associated with the institutions. But, uh, and I, I just felt like um, we had reached a point where there, there weren't people involved anymore that had had boots on the ground, so to speak. And I think we all know that's important. And um, I appreciate Commissioner Sankey giving me, you know, a voice. I'm not shy and I'm not going to not speak up when I think something is wrong. Uh, but I also understand, I hope, the administrative parts of it. You know, there's a lot of legal issues. Y'all were just talking about that with the PGA Tour. I, I listened in to that. And it's a shame that in sport we find ourselves in a courtroom more often than not. Uh, but um, it's, um, I think it's imperative. I'm not being egotistical, but, you know, when I'm in me, I've got a big meeting Wednesday about, you know, f the future of recruiting calendars and coaches' calendars. And if I wasn't there, there would be no one that's ever done it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think it is important. I'd like to see more coaches later in their career really get involved with this type of um, thing. You, the legislative circumstance, the further you go up the ladder with the NCAA, the further you get away from anyone that's ever coached and oftentimes, you know, played at any level. Did the, the news of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten surprise you? Or are we kind of past the point of being surprised about anything around college sports right now? You know, I'm, I'm trying to keep my ear to the ground, and I'm not surprised. Um, all, all of these alliances were going to lead to league jumps and re, re, realignments. Uh, the Southeastern Conference, we obviously feel really good about where we are. But, you know, I think the one thing that's definitive is that there is nothing anymore that's definitive uh, right now. Change is inevitable. Um, you know, I, I'm not a soothsayer, but I don't think it's going to look anything like it does right now, five years from now. Uh, Kevin White, who I worked with at Duke, you know, is a very experienced director of athletics, 
you know, he would talk to me after all of his national meetings and he would say, David, this isn't going to look anything like what it is now, uh, 15 years from now. And that was about five years ago when he made that statement. So who knows where we're headed? When it surfaced that you were maybe heading to Texas, uh, I think maybe that was the analyst role that you, you were talking about. We said, oh, well, there's an Arch Manning connection to, to <laughs> Texas. Uh, and then when you didn't wind up there, uh, I thought, well, there's Arch Manning's not going to wind up at Texas. And lo and behold, um, he did. What, uh, how, much, how much of your conversation about going there involved Arch Manning? And what do you think about Arch Manning landing uh, outside the SEC, at least for the time being? Yeah, I think you. the first thing I would say is that he knows and well knows that he will be in the SEC, you know. I think that was an important part to him. What I like about it is this puts Arch in a position to where, you know, he's not trying to compete with what his grandfather or uncle did at Ole Miss or his dad did. Uh, he's not competing directly with what Peyton did at Tennessee. He's got a chance to, and or against their rivals. You, you understand what I'm saying? He can be in the same league, but Texas is not a rival yet any of those programs and so I think um, it's it's I've known Arch a long time and I, I think he's got a lot of confidence and a lot of drive and I think it's a step saying hey I'm on my own and I can do this um, and hopefully he makes it it work but you know I, I was just to let you know there was no way I was going to get involved in being a person that was going to try to sway Arch to do something by taking a job. My relationship with that family is far greater than, than that. And that was another reason to keep me out of that circumstance. It was really impressive to see how the family handled his recruitment. And I honestly didn't know if it would be possible to keep things as under wraps today with everything going on with social media and everything else. But they really did start to finish with all the interest around his recruitment, they did it the way you know they set up front. They wanted to do it uh, with Arch and his recruitment. I'm sure that didn't surprise you, Coach, knowing the, the family, but are you at least impressed that they were able to pull it off to the level they did? I'm not surprised, and I'm very impressed because this isn't the same era that Archie or Eli or Peyton went through. Um, the amount of media, uh, the the amount that I mean, I saw his face every day on my iPhone somehow, some way, um, and to to collectively have everybody keep their feet on the ground and nobody no leaks, um, they kept their inner circle tight. I didn't know what he was going to do, and and that's what you sh should do in that circumstance. People live too publicly. In, in my opinion, um, yeah, I, I contributed to this the day he was born. I sent him, I was the head coach at Ole Miss at the time. The day he was born, I sent scholarship papers by courier to the hospital to make sure they got delivered. So Cooper and Ellen got scholarship papers for, for arts that day. Of course, Ole Miss and I had long since separated, but I, I might have had a fight, fighting chance had I still been there. You know, it's clear watching Peyton Manning and anything he does that he likes to communicate, and he's a great communicator. 
as someone who's coached Peyton as much as you have and had such a big part in his development, do you see a coach in him? Because when I see you know the rare video of him at the Manning Passing Academy working with a high school or college quarterback, he looks like a guy who has the fire to instruct in the game of football, but yet I don't see him as someone who's going to be a full-time coach. What do you think of what you've seen from Peyton Manning, the coach slash instructor? Well, the, um, the, the great, and I mean great, Demarius Thomas, or the late great Demarius Thomas, who I was so very fond of. Um, I competed against him when he was in college. But um, this, this can kind of sum up. Pey- Peyton's always been an instructor and a coach and a great communicator on the field. And uh, this is no offense to anyone else that ever coached Demarius, but he came to me. They would they would always come in the off season to, to work with us, and and Demarius and I were sitting at dinner, and he said, "Coach, you know, and, until I was with Peyton, he said he's the best receiver coach I've ever had. He said he he's really taught me how to play r- receiver." Uh, I, I've always used a term since Peyton. Um, communication between receivers and quarterback is critical, and I don't like a lot of dissertations on the on the practice field. So when I could see a player at quarterback and receiver weren't on the same page, I would just say Peyton Manning to both of them, and that meant you better get together now. After. Let's, let's, one of the secrets to our success is that we've been on the same page. So, yeah, he's he's not going to coach. Um, I, I wouldn't rule out any number of roles that I could see him in in football, but he has such a great love for the game. I think one of the things that's very difficult at times for a player as great as he is and as committed as he was, it would be hard for him to coach and not be frustrated, angry. Uh, a little too much, you know, you understand what I'm saying. You're a regular viewer of his TV product of, of the Manning cast with, with Peyton and Eli. I I didn't get to see it, you know, really hardly at all during the fall because I was working, you know, I was still coaching at Duke at the time. So, you know, my Monday nights end really late when I'm, when I'm coaching, but I got enough tidbits of it and, I mean, everywhere I went, the rave reviews, and it didn't surprise me. Eli, I tell you, you know, one of the things about Eli is that his computer, and that's the one between the ears, the gray matter computer. When I when I knew, I'm like, wow. So we were playing in the independent, excuse me, playing in the Music City Bowl in Nashville. It'd been horrible weather leading up to it. Horrible weather that day it was Don Leland's last game at West Virginia. We're behind like 49 to nine. And I put Eli in. We had a, a senior, fifth year senior quarterback, put Eli in, and he lit it up. But what I do remember most is this he would come off on the sideline. And, you know, the, a football play for a quarterback is going to be about three and a half seconds max from a decision making standpoint post snap. And when he would come over, I'd say, Tell me what you were thinking. And it would take him 30 seconds to tell me what all went through his mind. And I'm not kidding. And every bit of it was right when I looked at it on tape. So what an eye for the game, a mind for the game. Um, 
Peyton gets a lot of accolades about his approach and preparation. Eli was was no different. I mean, he's got a great football mind. Um, I don't buy lottery tickets, guys, because I was able to coach both of them their entire college careers and then work with them while they were in the NFL. And it made made me better because they're the functional part. And that's what I would tell every young coach. You know, it's not about you. It's about the player. Uh, you you got to teach them everything you know. you you got to teach them some of the intangibles. But they're going to teach you the functional part. Pay close attention to it. They are the ones. And they need to know more than you as players. And I think both of those, and I told them both that when I started coaching them, and I think they embraced that part of it. It, it. You can't limit the functional part of it. I see a lot of comments about that in the NFL right now. You, you, you can't make particularly a great player a, a robot, if you understand what I'm saying. Former, so it's an interesting thing. Go ahead. Sorry. Former Duke and Ole Miss coach David Cutcliffe, our guest, uh, Manning family quarterback guru as well. Um, wonder with the conference realignment stuff that's going on, uh, to what degree you might fear for the ACC at this point, or what you what you think's going to go down there? Yeah, I've actually been thinking about that. You know, I, I don't know. I haven't. I tried to you know reach out a little bit and see if I could catch any tidbits, and they're being pretty close to the vest, um, even coaches. But, um, you know, the obvious first is everybody's trying to see if they can reel Notre Dame into a league. Um, I, I think that their television rights package is going to potentially hold them together financially, uh, what, the way they structured it, if, if I'm recalling right. So I, I don't know what, what's going to happen. I think we've got a strong group of commissioners. Um, I think this is potentially, like I said, going to evolve in a lot of different directions. So it would be really hard to say some of the obvious things, you know, maybe pack 12 teams, but that doesn't make a lot of sense, you know? So I don't know. Maybe folks on television will have more to do with it than you think. Coach, over the course of your career, you did some remarkable things. One of them was, you know, the unthinkable for many coaches. That's winning at Duke, which oftentimes does not happen. Have you been contacted by coaches at programs that historically have not done well for advice on winning at a place that historically does not do well? Is that something that you're open to doing with coaches, and have you done that before? Yeah, I've done it a lot through through the years. Um, You know, a lot of people visited us at at Duke um, to see, you know, what, what we were doing and, and we don't have enough time to get into, you know, what, what you have to do. It's a unique challenge, but it's the most fun you could ever have in coaching because um, culture, collective habits, you know, that's not a term used enough in sport. Uh, you can look at an NBA team and you'll see three players that got great habits and nobody else. The habits that matter the most in sport are the collective habits of a team. You can call it culture. You can then call it chemistry. Uh, when those, when that occurs, you, you can you can outplay your talent level. And um, boy, is it rewarding! It takes great people. 
It takes a great staff, which I was very fortunate to work with a lot of great coaches. I think that's something that's overlooked uh, by coaches that take challenging jobs. I mean, you got to understand, you, you better be aligned as a staff, and you better hire the absolute best football coaches you can hire. And how do you do that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to go about it, but I think it starts with the, the character a person's got, you know, that can you trust them? And my first question in those types of programs and settings is when you hire somebody to work in that program, would you want them to work with your own children? And if the answer is no, I don't care what they know about football. I'm not going to hire them. If the answer is yes, then I think you got a candidate. You have 14 years on that campus, wondering how well you got to know uh coach Mike Krzyzewski during that and what it was like for you to watch his final year, part of which you were still on campus for? Well, I, I love Mike Krzyzewski, his, his talent, his um, determination as a, as a coach is, you know, I like to call it motor. I mean, he, he was going at it, you know, right there to the end. He was really helpful to me and, how to approach building a program at Duke and, you know, not trying to bring people in that didn't fit in that environment was the best advice I, I got from him. And he was right. You don't put someone on that small elite campus that really doesn't belong there in any form or fashion. And uh, he said, it may take you a little while, but you can build a program. And I think that's absolutely right. And any uh, academic school, uh, I think that's great advice for any any coach that takes a job in that environment. If you try to beat the system, you're not going to. Um, our players were pretty incredible. Over 14 years of the people that stayed, which was almost all of them, only two guys didn't get their degrees because not, I mean we just chose the right people. And uh, I'm probably more proud of that than all the wins we had through those years. David Cutcliffe has been our guest. Coach, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Uh, best of luck moving forward with your role with the SEC. Uh, we've really enjoyed this chat, talking football. Thank you. Thanks so much. Take care. All righty. David Cutcliffe, heck of a career. Uh, I mentioned, you know, one at Duke, a place not accustomed to winning. Say the same about Ole Miss when he was there. You know, historically in the SEC – not a real winner at Ole Miss, and he certainly did his fair share of winning there as well. How about the uh, NFL offensive coordinator? Yeah, plenty to unpack, and I want to start with that when we come back, Paul, about David Cutcliffe telling us that he had an opportunity to be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. We'll, we'll discuss our chat, a lot to get into, with former Ole Miss, former Duke head coach, current advisor to the SEC commissioner, David Cutcliffe. We'll discuss when we come back. It's Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Outkick 360. Alongside Paul Karski, I'm Chad Withrow. Terrific conversation 
with former Duke and Ole Miss head coach David Cutcliffe. And, Paul, as we found out during that discussion, could have been offensive coordinator in the NFL, David Cutcliffe. Yeah, and I don't think he was saying he had one opportunity necessarily. It sounded like maybe more than one opportunity. Well, I, I would have loved to have seen that. So I'm, And I'm surprised that something pulled at him that's more administrative. I always thought his logical next step at some point was to do something with play calling in the NFL because it was a very pro-style system for the most part with Cutcliffe throughout the years going back to his days as offensive coordinator for Philip Fulmer at Tennessee with Peyton Manning as quarterback. It always surprised me he didn't take that NFL opportunity, but he even went as far as to say he discussed the, the chance with Peyton Manning, well, who was like pushing Peyton him was that way. It. Yeah. yeah, and instead got out of coaching. So it would have been cool to see. That would have been something. Uh, one other thing that jumped out about our discussion with him, um, he said, I think what college football looks like today won't look anything like this in five years. So that further goes in line with the speeding up of movement everywhere. A lot of movement to come. Um, and uh, I wonder if he means only that or if he means the speed of the game. I was kind of wondering if he's talking on two levels there. Well, and also, um, you know, he said the top priority for a lot of conferences is to get Notre Dame in their conference, see if they can make them get out of their independence to join. But um, uh, interesting answer with the ACC also. We'll I podcast all see, of this, by the way. I just can't see Notre Dame, go, despite its tie to the ACC, going to the ACC if given given the current circumstances the Big Ten just makes so much more sense and the Big Ten is so much stronger so you go join a strong conference or you go save the ACC and try to make it a strong conference too it's just even if you go there it's still third whereas if you go to the Big Ten you make it you know a contender to be Co-number one. Well, so ESPN owns the rights to the ACC. It's not split at all. Big Ten is split between Fox and ESPN. Um, SEC is ESPN now, was ESPN CBS. You know, could could ESPN make it worth Notre Dame's while to, to join the ACC where they have the exclusive rights to the ACC? I just don't think so. Because it would cost so much what they're making with NBC right now. I don't see any way that it would make financial sense for ESPN to do that. It would be great for ESPN if suddenly Notre Dame was in the sweetheart deal of the ACC with them. But to do that, they'd be taking such a bigger percentage of the pie from the ESPN deal. And ESPN would have to sweeten the pot. You could also strike a blow for, you know, yeah, geography doesn't mean much in the, in the big picture of everything. But here we are in the middle of the heart of what what the original or the 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 Big Ten was before it started going to to Rutgers and to UCLA and USC, and here we are plop in the middle of it. It makes sense that way. Yeah, and you can catch the our conversation with David Cutcliffe on the podcast page. Search Outkick three hundred and sixty wherever you get podcasts. Everything we've done today. You can always podcast um, also now in Nashville. You can hear us 94.9 FM on the FM dial. And a big thanks uh, to Withers Broadcasting, to all of our partners out there that partner with us on radio each and every day. Tonight, Mets, Braves, I'll be watching this one. 
It's Max Freed versus Max Scherzer. Braves now only a game and a half behind the Mets in the NL East. I think this is shaping up to be a great pennant race uh, between both these teams. I don't think either one of them will completely fade, having seen the Mets get off to this great start, and they've stumbled a bit as of late, but really it's just been the Braves as one of the hottest teams in baseball that's caught up to them. And that series starts tonight. I'll be watching. It's a rare situation where I will uh, have a rooting interest in the Braves because I uh, I uh, root for the Yankees, number one, Red Sox failure, number two, and Mets failure, quite frankly, number three. Yanks are off here nice. uh, on a recovery day. So. You can watch with me then, Paul. I won't watch. You won't watch? I, I'm you know, not going to go so far as to watch yeah, I, I another team. I don't blame you. I wouldn't watch the Yankees either yeah. if uh, my team was not playing. By the way, Ronald Acuna Jr., Second, uh, he's the top NL vote-getter for the All-Star game. Your guy, Aaron Judge, top vote-getter overall. Acuna was second in Major League Baseball behind Aaron Judge in the American League. Ronald Acuna Jr. just let it be known that he will participate in the Home Run Derby this year. Stanton is considered. Which would be one to watch. Also. Stanton would be a fun one to watch. You gave Stanton high marks for not stepping out of the batter's box. Stanton in the damn box. Also. Um, Pretty cool. You know, Yankees makes a lot of sense. I think there are a lot of bandwagon jumpers onto the bandwagon with the Braves, but the Braves, pretty big fan base to have Acuna Jr. as the second uh, vote-getter, and that's a lot of people across baseball as well. So our team's leading the way, Paul. I like it. I would be very happy with that World Series, and I would spend um, – I, would, I wouldn't have to spend on airfare to, to – uh, I would just blow it out for two tickets for Simon and I. Maybe Teresa would come. Uh, to go to Atlanta, watch the Yankees win a World Series game in Atlanta. Would love it. Personal note for us and for you out there who are a fan of the Breaking Bad universe, Better Call Saul back tonight uh, on AMC. This is one, maybe eight central, nine eastern. Either way, one to watch tonight, one I'll be watching and uh, letting my family in Nebraska know to watch as well. How are the face So I don't catch up. Good. Is there a lot of chalk or pretty short? Yeah, mine are always pretty short. Yeah, they're playing something. They don't want to be bothered. My daughter's riding a horse. It's not a lot to share either. No. Good here. Well, especially on my end, there's really nothing to share. I'm just going home and watching TV. Dad's on the couch. Yeah, I worked again today and I watched TV. Well, what did you guys do? Oh, I rode a horse. Great. We hope everyone out there has a great Monday night. You can podcast the show wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Plenty to discuss. John McClain. We'll talk NFL with us tomorrow. And Paul's got a message for you on the way out. I beg of you, don't block the box. Don't go into the intersection if you can't clear it. And lock your lock.